Hey there, welcome to Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this is our Father's Day episode. And for the Father's Day episode, (laughs) we felt it was only necessary to bring along my father, Hal Eisenberg. Welcome back. (laughs) Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am super excited to be here and I am super excited to dive into this movie of all movies. So yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Scott, would you like to tell the people what we're watching today for Father's Day? Yes. So my wife introduced to me Dead Poet Society. Released in 1989. And Dead Poet Society is one of those movies that I avoided for a long time because I knew the big stuff. I I don't think you knew all the big stuff. No, I didn't know all the big stuff, but I knew... The O Captain, My Captain scene. I knew Robin Williams. Hal, is this your first time watching the movie? Tell us your experience with the with the film. It actually was my first time, uh, like Scott. <gasps> I, I introduced had, both of you. I'm so excited. You introduced both of us, yeah. I, I had a feeling I, you would really like this, Hal. I was literally not only liking it, I was I was blown away by the entire movie. Only because not only was the movie written brilliantly and, and, and I think Robin Williams and, and the cast were, were genius in it, but it resonates with me so deeply with everything I stand for and my desire to want to transform the education system and my last 27 years experience and, and, and the books I've written that are coming out about education. This, this movie just lit me up. There's something about Robin Williams that I this is where I would kind of want to start before we get into this movie in general the ability for a comedian because we all know Robin Williams is mainly known as a comedian to be a dramatic actor and I feel like a lot of comedians seemingly have a hard time making that translation sometimes oh yes there's definitely a two-sided coin of drama and comedy and Robin Williams throughout his career uh, had always really excelled at both avenues, I think. And you have to remember, this movie was was 1989, and Robin Williams was not really considered a serious actor. I, I might be off about this fact, but I think this was one of the first serious movies he actually did. And there are scenes in this movie where you could see his comedic genius. I actually read, because I love this movie so much, I did some background research on it. I actually read that Robin Williams was struggling emotionally um, with some personal stuff um, while he was filming this movie. And that's really interesting because as we know, um, may he rest in peace, that he was struggling most of his career. Right, true. And you are right about this kind of being earlier in his movie career anyway this was right after good morning vietnam which was kind of it had dramatic elements to it but it was also comedic on his side as well why do you think he succeeded so well though being both dramatic and comedic where others can't do that as well as he did i think what made robin williams a genius is he thought outside the box you know even as we're talking now we have this like picture of what a comedic actor should be or what a serious actor should be you know robin williams is just a step above all that he just 
he was filled with passion for for his art form. Uh, I would agree with that, actually. But I, I will say that I think because of the things that Robin Williams personally has gone through in, in his life, I think that's what made him able to kind of flirt that line between drama and comedy so well, because comedy, some of the best comedy, I think, comes from a really dark place and making good out of things that are kind of bad. And that's really what Robin Williams did very well. And yeah, in this movie, he really he had a lot of comedic elements, but he also leaned into the drama elements as well. There is a reason why he was nominated for an Oscar for this film. He was something special, no matter what role it seemed to be. You felt like it was all real. Oh, yeah. Like a lot of the actors, you can feel when they're phoning it in or when it's just like it's just acting. Oh, sure. We've talked about that plenty of times on here. (laughs) Actors phoning it in. And I just feel like Robin Williams never did that. No, that's why even in like his more shitty movies, like he never really had a bad performance. He always kind of gave it 100% even in movies that were eh. So that's, I think that's why he had the reputation that he did as such a good comedic actor. So this movie was directed by Peter Weir who also directed The Truman Show, which is another, like, banger fucking movie starring an actor who was very well known for comedic and dramatic acting. Jim Carrey, obviously. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, But it was also written by um, Tom Shulman, who (laughs) he wrote, um, let's see, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, What About Bob? (laughs) And then this movie, he won an Oscar for a screenplay. The movie was also, like I said, nominated for lead actor. And Williams lost this year, but he ended up winning eight years later for Goodwill Hunting, which is another movie that I have to show Scott. <laughs> but just to give this movie its due, it was also nominated for Best Director, but lost to Oliver Stone for Born on the Fourth of July. And it was nominated for Best Picture, but lost to Driving Miss Daisy that year. Both those films are, are good films. And if you're going to lose, those are two decent films to lose to. But I don't know. I, I could argue that this film should have won. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was very well received. It has a 84% critic score, 92% audience score. It made $236 million on a $16.4 million budget. So it definitely knocked it out of the park. This was before also Robin Williams was like a huge name. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was a name at that point, but not as huge as he was. I mean, Hook and Aladdin and all that stuff came after this. So, Well, yeah. You have him, who this is early in his career, and then you got fresh-faced Ethan Hawke over there. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the boys, this was most of their first or second films, basically, and we do have a, a few stars in these students that became, you know, heavy hitters in the future so it is kind of funny looking back at their little baby faces i did find it interesting that this movie won screenplay because it's a movie for writers it's a movie for poets and as someone who loves writing and poetry i obviously like a stand for this movie however i feel like the screenplay itself is relatively simple the one thing about this movie is I don't feel like it is a usual story structure. It's like a in these people's lives kind of, of right. this year. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel like a cohesive movie at times. Like, you know what I'm saying? And not like 
it all makes sense, but it doesn't feel like it's a typical movie. Right. And I get what you're saying. Uh, well, I guess we can just jump right into the nitty gritty now. So are we are we ready to dive in? Let us dive. All right. Carpe diem. Let, seize the day. Let's oh, go. Yeah, seize the carp. <laughs> Let's seize the day. Yes. <laughs> we start off at this school. It's, uh, I think, Welton Academy is the name of the school. In the good old year of 1959, it's a boarding school in Vermont. And there are some really fucking like beautiful shots in this movie. Like I was surprised actually that cinematography wasn't in the conversation in the Oscars. Maybe it was, but it just didn't get a nomination. Oh yeah, the school ground they chose looks gorgeous. But yeah, early on, we get the bagpipes. <laughs> Scott and I immediately were laughing because they were there's this like ceremony going on in the school or whatever. And these older boys who we eventually end up meeting and getting to know, they're like carrying in these banners and each one of them says like a different thing, like tradition, honor, and integrity or whatever. And Scott and I were just yelling each flag as it came in, honor, integrity, tradition. <laughs> and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be not funny soon. Let's just soak this up now while it's funny. So I really got into a lot of the metaphors and symbolism in the movie. Like, so when I first watched that scene, I, I was the same way. I was like, really bagpipes. I'm like, I'm not going to be into this movie at all. So, but I, I after I loved the movie so much, I had to go back and watch it a second time. And so many of the metaphors like really popped out to me. So like, I read those flags. So you're right. It was tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence. So like the discipline was such a heavy theme in that movie. They were really setting that up. Yeah, we get introduced to all our main players fairly early on. Yeah. Sh shall I just introduce yes, our crew introduce here? our crew. Okay, so the movie is entitled Dead Poets Society, and we'll talk about what the Dead Poets Society is, but essentially it's a, a group of, uh, I believe, seven of these young men that go to school here in Wellston Academy. There's like three main ones that really we should introduce because they're actual people that you would know. There's a fella named Neil, played by Robert Sean Leonard. And um, Wilson. Yes, you would know him as Wilson from the show House <laughs> when he was very young and spry, a, a mere 19 years old. It's scary the man looks exactly the same. Like, it, like In the face, he looks exactly the same. It was driving me nuts the whole movie. I was like, <laughs> I know this guy. Where do I know him from? And then I realized he was Dr. Wilson. I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so, so he did become a doctor. It's so that's what I was going to say in the movie. Like, <laughs> he's at this boarding school or whatever to eventually become a doctor. And then, yeah, he plays a doctor on the TV like <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> But yes, Neil is um, a very stifled young man. Most of these kids are stifled <laughs> emotionally, mentally, just, just yeah. But Neil's like a goody two shoes. He does like everything and anything. And his dad, who we meet, who's played by Red Foreman, <laughs> he wants Neil very badly to be a doctor. And he's basically running this kid's life to try to get him to be the very best yeah kerwood smith does this role very well yes he's the hard-ass dad that's who he is 
and he continued to play that role. If if Red Foreman was in this movie, this movie would have been a lot easier for, for poor Neil. But yeah, after Neil, we meet Knox Overstreet also, who's played by Joshua Charles, who was uh, the ripe old age of 17 in this movie. And he's he's done a lot of TV. I recognized him because my mom was a big fan of the show The Good Wife. And he played um, the love main love interest on that show 20 years after this movie. So I recognized him immediately. His whole storyline in this movie is that he meets a girl and randomly falls in love after meeting her for one day. And then that's his whole storyline for the movie. And I totally have an issue with that storyline, but we'll get into that uh, later. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then... Um, there are other kids in this Dead Poet Society, but the last main player here is Mr. Anderson. Todd motherfucking Anderson, played by an 18-year-old Ethan Hawke. Definitely not his first movie, because he's been doing movies since he was like 10. No, I think this was like his second movie. They were all babyface, and Ethan Hawke is very babyface in this movie. But we talked about him not too long ago, because he was the villain in Moon Knight, and we did an episode on Moon Knight. Even Hawk's been in everything. I just love him so much. From- and he's so cute in this movie. He's a little shy boy. So cute and quiet and sweet. It's so funny watching him in this and then going on to like later things in his career. Like he was the killer in the black phone. He did the purge. Yeah, he's on like a horror kick. Didn't he do Sinister or something? Yeah, I think he was the- in the first Sinister. Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, our other students that we're going to deal with, we have like redhead kid scrawny kid smarmy kid whose name is charlie and then tall kid whose name is pitts but that i didn't write down their actors names because i don't know who any of them are (laughs) (laughs) i just want to go back to todd anderson for a second oh yes please Uh, let's talk about ethan hawk more well especially in that opening scene and and throughout this movie i think i think ethan hawk does a phenomenal job because he's supposed to be displaying somebody who's got a, a mental illness that doesn't really get noticed, right? He has like this social anxiety disorder. Well, not only that, but I also think he's suffering from younger brother syndrome a little bit. Like it's said only once, but his brother went to this school, like, and it, I guess had just graduated and. I almost want to say they even mentioned that he was like valedictorian or something like he he sounds like he's the perfect brother the perfect son and Todd's kind of not that not that he's (laughs) kind of the fuck up but he's still smart enough to get by right. Yeah, there's that opening scene where they meet the headmaster as they're walking out. And Neil, he says, you know, yes, I want to live up to my dad. And he he says the right answer. And then when Todd Anderson, you know, Ethan Hawke's character is asked, you know, and he says, you know, you got big shoes to fill, you know, with your brother. He just hardly responds, like almost like he's scared to respond. It's those subtle things that I think makes this movie brilliant. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree. But we find out that Neil and Todd are going to be roommates. Then we kind of like jump into our first day of classes, really. And we, I like how we went through like all these boring ass classes like trigonometry and Latin and other random things that you don't need in the real world. And then we go to English class and we meet our new English teacher in this school, who is Mr. John Keating, played by the late great Robin Williams. He immediately throws everyone off kilter. He walks in the room whistling, 
la di da di da everything is great and he literally just walks right out the door <laughs> and everyone's <laughs> looking around like what and he's like come on let's go <laughs> and he like gets them up and walking out I, I like movies like this where you have a teacher who wants to break against the mold and teach kids in a different way and just get them looking at things from a new perspective the first scene where he where he does the seize the day thing is like such a good fucking scene and it's so inspiring right off the bat seize the day gather ye rosebuds while ye may why does the writer use these lines because we are food for worms lads each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing turn cold and die a hundred percent yes <laughs> that seize the day scene i think is epic i think it's legendary that's the way i feel like teachings should absolutely be and the whole carpe diem speech is just like just so amazing and 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 i am going to do a little selfish self plug here carpe diem is one of my favorite favorite sayings and it's the book that i'm releasing um in september has carpe diem like theme throughout the entire book it's actually originally from the roman poet horus from 23 bc Yes, it's it's a powerful speech. You both have touched on that. Like it's a powerful thing looking at the past and all these people that have gone here that are now have passed and going they're yeah. telling you. But how did Robin Williams get this job? He was an alumni. I I I, I, I understand. I, I know he was an alumni. He was grandfathered in. But I, I, I if you meet this man as the headmaster of this school and who he is as a person as we've seen him. There is no way that he looks at Robin Williams and goes, this guy's my English teacher. <laughs> That's right. I, I want to know what the interview process was. Oh, why? You're saying he's not like a fucking wackadoo. Like, no, but he, you know, you he, may he, sound like he's Patch Adams, like walking no, no, with no, clown no. shoes on. Like, I, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm just saying like the headmaster, didn't he have to interview Robin Williams? Wouldn't he have seen that his thought process the way he thinks about things the way he looks at things does not line up with what the headmaster clearly wants to be i would probably not even think that they, he looked that far he probably looked at his resume saw that he was a welton alumnus and was like ah you'd be the perfect fit you know what it's like to be here at good old welton we do throughout the movie get uh, a lot of different lessons with Mr. Keating. One of them that I really liked was when um, they have the textbook and they have the kids read Introduction to Poetry and like this graph and this rubric that they use to measure whether or not a poem is great. They're like, oh, if it's, uh, I don't even remember like what the thing if was. How important it is to like society. Versus does the offer get across what they mean well? And then immediately Robin Williams is like, excrement. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> Rip it up right now. Rip up the whole introduction. And all these kids are like ripping up their papers and stuff. And then, of course, we get the, you know, stuffy older teacher coming in and be like, what are you boys doing in here? This is most unorthodox. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we immediately start to see like the pushback to fun because we can't have fun in boarding school how dare you well it's funny because <laughs> so the pushback comes from the latin teacher initially yes and keating's kind of like aren't we trying to prepare them to be like actual people like to have right thought? correct and he, and he goes 
with free thought comes pain, all that good things. Like, mm-hmm. show me a man that dreams, show me a man that is in pain and stuff like that. But he seems to be almost like a middle ground of like he sees what Keating's trying to do, right? But he knows but he probably kn- it's not going to work out. <laughs> exactly. Like it's an interesting. He's an interesting dynamic. I wish he was almost in this movie more. Yeah, maybe. There's a lot of characters in this movie, though. Yeah, there is. I loved his character though because Keating wins him over throughout the movie, even in his like subtle, the subtle moments, you know. I think this whole movie is like a real battle between like what school is traditionally supposed to be, tradition, haha, and like what real life is supposed to be. All the frumpy older people that worked at the school, they want to just kind of drill information to these kids' heads. That's how I felt in school. I felt like a lot of it was just, oh, just memorize the stuff. And then when you're done, you'll never have to use it again. So don't worry about it. Like, you know, if you asked me like a seventh grade science question, I probably wouldn't know the answer. (laughs) But, you know, I've had teachers also on the other side of that, that have been more like Keating and have they, they actually want to instill real values in you as a student. Like, I feel like that's what Keating is trying to do he kind of in a really good scene that like is shot really really well all the students kind of huddle around Keating and he explains that you know they don't write poetry because it's cute they write poetry or read poetry because it's it's a an outlet for passion and love and beauty and all these things that you don't necessarily need to live but they're the things that you live for. And I thought that was a really interesting way to put it. I think we could do a whole show just on that huddle up scene. There was just (laughs) so many amazing lines. And I think it's starting to challenge how Neil feels about his father and the messaging and how he's been coerced to think a certain way and just follow the rules, you know, and here's this guy in that scene that says in my class, you will learn to think for yourself again. And then, and then Frankie, he quotes Walt Whitman, right? The powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? I wrote that down. <laughs> I was like, what? It was mind blowing, you know? And I think that that begins Neil to be like... Deprogrammed. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a struggle because the message from his dad was, you have to be a doctor. You have to do this. Like Neil clearly has established that he has interests like i guess he was he was like part of the yearbook committee that his father made him quit right you're doing too many extracurricular activities okay don't you want them to do extracurriculars like the but that's the thing like clearly he still was doing well because they say oh he has straight A's and everything so i'm like if he was struggling i would find more basis in that argument like, oh, you have to cut back on your extracurriculars. You're struggling with your grades. But being the yearbook editor is a folly, son. Just as the theater department. Once Neil wanted to do fucking theater, I felt triggered. I'm like, God damn it. This kid <laughs> just wants to be a theater kid. Let him live. I read one article, and I don't know if you guys picked this up, but but they, they went after the stereotype of being a theater kid. 
uh, and they were talking about, you know, was Neil and Todd actually in a relationship? Yeah, I read about that too. I was reading like there's like subtitle. I didn't feel that when I was watching the movie or rewatching it, but like, I mean, if they were alluding to that, because they do have a few scenes with Todd and Neil specifically together, kind of bonding and developing a real friendship. If there was like an undertone of that, I wouldn't be shocked by it. But like, I don't know if that was a planned thing or, or not. I don't know. Neil has bought into this carpe diem. He has bought into it. He's like, I get it. It's It makes sense to me. Indeed, indeed. I feel like he's more adopted Tom and been like, look, I see this. You can come along and be this with me. Yeah. Like at one point, <laughs> at one point, Neil is talking to Todd and Todd's just like, listen, you don't have to like keep lo- trying to look after me. I can look after myself just fine. And Neil's just like, no <laughs> you fucking can't that was a great scene also because i also felt like ethan hawk in that scene was for a moment trying to explain to neil i i struggle with this disorder and i i i have this phobia or i have i have trouble connecting with people but he just couldn't get it out right um and then yeah. the rest the rest of that scene got a little ridiculous i thought but like <laughs> it was like silly though i mean i do really enjoy the relationship between all of the boys like their friendship and their silliness and their bonding and stuff because it just seemed very natural and very real apparently peter weir had them all rooming together during the, the whole filming process and they actually filmed the movie in chronological order so they could more properly capture like their growing relationship and their growing respect for Keating and just watch that relationship grow both on and off camera, which I thought was a probably very clever idea because it worked out really well. Absolutely. And it's so funny. We're like, we're talking about all these scenes and I don't even think we even got to, and I think it's coming up next is like the whole point of this movie like it's called dead poet society <laughs> yeah yeah remember remember this movie's called dead poet society <laughs> oh it is oh yeah God. so uh, a bunch of the kids find a yearbook an old yearbook uh of keating's it says in his yearbook that he was in the dead poet society and they're like what the hell is that and when they ask keating about it he tells them that when he was a student there at welton him and a bunch of other kids would go to this local cave nearby and just like read poetry together and (laughs) at first they're all like what read read poetry (laughs) yeah quote unquote real big quotes there but yeah uh, like you know to just say you went to a cave and smoked some weed and like you know wooed some women with sexy poetry that's okay just be honest with the boys but um yeah, they're, I guess because they're so very sheltered. I mean, that's what's so funny about this movie, I feel like. When you watch it and you're like, oh, they're so inspired by fucking poetry that they want to like make this whole club and shit. But like, A, it's 1959. <laughs> B, they're so very stifled, all these guys. They can't do anything even remotely fun in the school, I feel like. So it makes sense why the idea of going to some cave off campus, sneaking out and just hanging out really in this cave and reading poetry together seems like so much fun because it's just like a symbol for like just being rebellious. I feel like like this isn't something we're supposed to do. 
these kids have kind of all really bought into like almost like the cult of Keating, his cult of personality. Okay, but it's not a cult. <laughs> he kept calling it a cult last night. I'm like, it's not a cult. He, he, they just never were exposed to that type of teaching before. Yeah, but when they go off that first night to the cave with their fucking like robes on with the hoods, I'm like, what are they fucking dementors running through the, the woods? I thought it would, like there were a couple really pretty shots in there. Like it was really nicely backlit in the woods and shit. And then they just come up with their hoods. <laughs> it's so dumb watching them because they're running like ridiculously. They're almost running like what's her name? She's all that. Yeah, Rachel <laughs> Cook. <laughs> But while all this is going on, well, they, 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 we've now started this Dead Poets Club, and you know we're we're, we're getting along. It's a society, dear. It's oh, a sorry. society. Oh, don't say it's not society. <laughs> we don't talk about society. Uh, oh God, there is a love oh, angle going on. Okay, so let's intro this thing with Knox. So Knox, uh, apparently, like his dad was friends with some other rich guy that lives nearby. And um, he goes over there one night for dinner or something. And he meets this girl who happens to be their son's girlfriend. Their son goes to like this public school that's nearby. And he's dating this girl named Chris. And she's very pretty and very blonde. And Knox immediately becomes infatuated with her. Yeah. Let's just get this all out of the way real quick with Knox. Sure. Let's do it. Um, he gets infatuated with her to the point where he's like, oh, I'm He's writing to, poems about her. I'm going to die without her. Yeah. Um, very. And oddly enough, Scott turned to me while we were watching the movie and Knox is being like so obsessive with Chris. Chris invites him to a party at the boyfriend's house, the football guy. And he goes and like he's drunk Knox is drunk and he's like about to go talk to Chris Scott is like oh no he's gonna get rejected he's is he gonna blow his brains out that's what he said I was like oh my my god God. (laughs) I was like don't say anything don't don't acknowledge anything he just said don't say anything I I, I had the idea right I had the wrong character (laughs) spoiler alert alert. (laughs) but yeah so there's a moment that happens at this party (laughs) that I did not remember (laughs) I watched it. I'm like, oh no! So he he's drunk. Knox, drunk boy, goes girl. on couch. Chris, the girl, is asleep. We don't know if she's passed out, drunk or not. She's asleep. Whatever. She somehow ends up leaning on his lap, and <laughs> I don't want to say it. It's so gross. So he he goes to touch her hair, Ugh. which you're like. Yeah, it's like no, no. no. We're like okay, <laughs> bad knocks, bad. Like that's creepy. But he's but, whispering carpe diem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. Well, oh, as, as he leans in to kiss her on, on the, the head. Oh my god! Like stop it. The, the boyfriend, boyfriend comes and punches him pu- in the face. Yeah, no shit. Which of course he would. But like, if he didn't kiss her, I I feel like I would feel less weird about it. A little bit. But, but like, I mean, the, still, the hair stroking's a little. Eh. It is, but like the kiss just takes it to a level. Yeah, and he didn't like it. Uh, it's so bad. <laughs> and she, by the way, when she wakes up and like the boyfriend punches, she's nice to him. She's like, "Don't hurt him. Like, da da da. Get out of here before he beats the shit out of you." So Knox leaves, and then probably like within the next couple of days, yeah, he goes to her school which is like dude just take the hit like you lost like just go don't 
bother this girl <laughs> and proceeds to go no i must read you my poem oh my god <laughs> and he like she clearly is like dude go and he just he just follows her i mean okay she is endeared by this because later on in the movie she goes to see him and they end up going on a date sort of so at the end of it i guess it's fine but <laughs> it's like if this had happened to me i would be creeped out even if the poem was very nice <laughs> i would still be uncomfy that whole relationship bothered me like from it's from, so weird well also i i didn't get why that storyline was in this movie honestly it's the only part of this movie where i'm like this probably should have been cut it didn't need to be there i think they put it in there because they wanted a romance element in there because you know they're talking about love and stuff and they wanted that to be an element of it which i get but we could have we could have done a better job <laughs> just saying also don't don't make Knox creepy right and if it maybe it would have been better too if this was a person that Knox actually like got to know like when she comes back to his school to like talk to him and then they eventually go on the date she literally says to him like you don't even know me like why would you say you love me you don't even know me and it's like yeah no that's a very valid question and he's just like but i do and it's like but no you don't know her though <laughs> hello you don't know her so getting back to the good stuff yeah let's forget that that exists let's just put that out of our minds now we get the first desk scene yeah, we get uh, some more lessons with Mr. Keating. We get Robin Williams being Robin Williams, of course. At some points, he you know does a few impressions. We get a Marlon Brando, a John Wayne. We love that for him. But yeah, then we get the standing on desk scene, which of course is going to be even more iconic at the end of the movie. We'll get there. But uh, it, he basically just kind of challenges these kids, as he has in the past and will in the future, to think outside the box look at things from a new perspective all that good stuff then he literally goes next class you all have to bring a poem that you wrote yourself and i know that scares the shit out of you mr anderson yeah we get a really great iconic scene with robin williams and ethan hawk here with the poems uh of course todd had been trying to come up with a poem but because of his own issues and his lack of confidence he couldn't come up with one so when it comes to that cl next class and robin williams is like hey come on sh uh, show us your poem there todd and uh he's like i didn't write one and then we get i just i love this scene so much of how he kind of just he literally pushes todd into just completely improving a fucking poem on the spot picture uncle walt up there what does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. Go on. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A crazy madman. Oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Go on. Uh, go on. Uh, a sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy. There's a poet in you after all. And, and seeing Ethan Hawke's character after he did the poem, the, the joy and the excitement of that breakthrough, to me, that's education, not regurgitation, you know? Though this is the one scene that did make me feel a little dizzy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do a lot of spinning in this movie <laughs> with the camera. So as the 
school year continues and as the Dead Poets Society continues, Charlie, or as I call him, smarmy guy, because throughout the entire movie, he has a smarmy look on his face. He decides he's going to write an article for the school paper on behalf of the Dead Poets Society saying that girls should be allowed to be admitted into Welton. And apparently this opinion piece really shook up all the old white men at the school. (laughs) They were very, very upset by the idea that a woman would enter their hallowed halls. So (laughs) they called like a school meeting and was like, anyone that is involved in the dead poet society, whatever that is, make yourselves known now. And smarmy Charlie gets up and he's like, me, I'm, I'm in it. Hello. And uh, then we get the paddling thing, which is gruesome and weird. This is probably the worst paddling scene. This is the, uh, of the two paddling scenes I know in movies. I was going to say, are, are there that many paddling scenes there's that only you know two of? that I know of. There's this <laughs> one, which is rough, and then there's Dazed and Confused. Oh, I've never seen uh, that. Okay. So I don't know. Where it's Ben Affleck's uh, paddling a child. Oh, um, it's fun. We love that. We love that for <laughs> Affleck. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Dr. Nolan literally just bends this fucking like 17-year-old boy over his desk and paddles his butt with a freaking heavy-ass wooden paddle <laughs> and says, tell me their names. And he's like, no. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, as if things couldn't get any worse, we get Neil, his kind of continuation of his story. So uh, he is very excited because he's playing Puck in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. And I, maybe because I'm a theater kid and I'm a dork, but I just thought it was really, really cute to see him so excited about it because he really seemed like he changed completely from the beginning of the movie. And he really became so free when he decided to do like the acting stuff and like a weight had been lifted off of his shoulders and his like scott said in the beginning like as long as your grades are good you it really shouldn't matter his grades were still great he was doing everything he needed to do but he had this one thing that like he had for himself and he was enjoying it for himself and it made him happy god for fucking bid so that all comes crashing down literally the night before opening the play when his dad shows up in his dorm room and is like what the fuck how dare you defy me and do a play a play what are you a little sissy (laughs) he doesn't say that but i mean he might as well (laughs) red foreman is mad uh because the dad basically says you have to quit you're not doing this play and he's like it's the day before opening night i'm the main character and i can't just quit and he's like well too bad so sad and neil ends up going to keating to talk to him and Keating tells him to, you know, you have to talk to your father. You have to talk to him like you talk to me. And I do want to bring up, when do you think Keating knows his time at Wellington is coming Not to- Wellington. Sorry. <laughs> Wellston. Wellton. Wellton. <laughs> Close enough. Wellington sounds bougie enough. That's funny. Well, too. <laughs> uh, what, when do you think Keating knows his time at Welton is coming to an end? Oh, when do you think he yeah. sees, like, the writings on the wall? 
after I, this? I actually think it's before this. I think it's when he has that clash with, with Nolan, you know, prior, and then he goes in to talk to the boys and he says, you know, that was kind of stupid. There's a time for daring and there's a time for caution and a wise man knows the difference. But I think I think that's when he knows the writings on, on the wall. You know, so I read an article that said that that scene was really controversial. There's a lot of people who are saying that that Keating was the villain of the story. This is the article I read. And I was like, what? You know, because he was telling a student to defy his parents because of that scene. And I don't think that's what he was doing. He I think wasn't, he was, though. Right. He that's was what they to- try to say that he did later. But he literally said, you need to talk to your dad and like make him understand because then afterwards, when Neil talks to him again, Keating says, did you talk to your dad? And Neil's clearly lying to Keating when he says, oh, yeah, we talked. And he wasn't happy, but like he said, he's going to let me do the play. I think that's where Keating knows. I think he knows Neil is lying. And I think the moment he realizes Neil is lying, I think he knows his time is up. Because the way he looks at Neil... I think he knows eventually this is going to all blow up on him. I don't know about that. Because there's a look on his face. There's that one scene, not to jump ahead, but like there's that one scene after the play. Yeah, that's the scene I'm talking about where I think he realizes, oh, fuck, I'm done. Yeah, I think that that might be the scene that that he does. That's what exactly what I was just going to say, Frankie Ice. Like as an educator, he handles it perfectly. He's like, guys, don't do anything. Yeah, because the other... Right. So what happens is they have the play. Neil goes and he kills it. Everybody's there seeing him perform and he does a great job. His dad comes, though. He's very sternly standing in the back. And when the play is over, he basically just immediately gets Neil and they go in the car and they peace out. And right before they get in the car, Keating goes up to Neil and is like, you did so great. You've got the gift. You did such an amazing job. And the dad confronts Keating directly and says, stay the hell away from my son. What it, you know, basically implying that this is all your fault. You put these crazy ideas of acting in his head, like with the fuck. So yes, Hal's right in saying that Keating handled it perfectly in that, you know, he didn't go back at him. The other kids were trying to talk to Neil and to the dad. And he was like, no, 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 don't make it worse. Uh, Neil and his dad drive off. And then, Keating's left standing there and that's when I think he's like I done fucked up and this is gonna go bad obviously I don't think he thought what actually happened was gonna happen but I definitely think he thought things were gonna go bad after that there was no way like he could have predicted what was gonna happen the dad ends up taking Neil home after the play and they have a really stern conversation and he's like i don't know what's happened to you why you keep defying us all this stuff and he says that he's pulling neil out of welton and enrolling him in a military academy because that's what he needs more structure (laughs) more being stifled but neil tries to talk to him for a second and then realizes there's no hope for him to get through to his dad and how he's feeling that scene pissed me off so much. <laughs> the dad's like, tell me, tell me how you're feeling. What? Tell me. And then there's like a really, a very pregnant pause. And then Neil's just like, nothing, forget it. And then that's it. And it's just, it. that also is like very realistic as far as like a teenager just clashing with their parents and like, you know, parents just don't understand that whole thing. But like, 
in a it really will. in a really sad kind of heartbreaking fucking way. I, at that point, I still didn't see what was coming. But at that I w- that movie could have gone one or two different ways. The way that it actually went, or I was looking for the Hollywood ending. He was going to stand up to dad and be like, yeah, I want my dream. And dad was going to cave and say, I'm sorry. And I was mad when I was watching that the first time. I was like, no, stand up to him. Stand up to him. <laughs> yeah. Scott also was not – he did not know. And I, I've tried so hard because in the past I feel like – either on my end or scott's end when we introduce each other to things we sometimes accidentally ruin things just by our facial expressions <laughs> like we ruin surprises or twists in movies by just like the way we're looking at them so i like purposely wasn't looking at scott for like the last for like the whole like, <laughs> like 20 minute sequence i'm like don't look at him i don't because i wanted to see if he could guess what was going to happen well at first when he goes and grabs his puck hat or crown of sorts crown yeah. and i'm like is he just gonna like bolt is he just gonna go yeah he opened his bedroom window and scott's just like don't go out there it's cold I'm like, scott you don't understand what's about to happen but there was also a lot of symbolism in that you know the thorny crown that was a whole yeah jesus oh being executed yes. for sure separate. yes and yeah. the open window was like the freedom before what was gonna happen like they really kind of not drag it out, but they they really kind of let you sit in Neil's emotion and just it's you kind of get soaked up in it, and it's oh god, it just makes it all the more devastating. When I mean, let's rip the bandaid off. We keep beating around the bush. Um, Neil goes into I believe his father's bedroom and takes a gun out of his father's chest of drawers goes downstairs uh, i would assume to the furthest part of the house and then unfortunately commits suicide i was super naive like right up until that point like even when he opened up the window i had no idea the first time i watched it that that he was about to commit suicide and that was a really tough scene for me to watch especially being working in high schools and you know dealing with you know two people on my team that that committed suicide and knowing that suicide is the second leading cause of death amongst teenagers and you know 20% of high school students have ideation and and I, we do the suicide walk every year and the movie changed for me in that moment up until that point it was all about transforming education and I was rooting on Robin Williams and Keating's character and then all of a sudden it took this harsh like turn that just pulled my heart out. I don't know how much I liked Red Foreman's discovery, how he acted out that scene. Did did you did you have a weird reaction to how how? Well, it was silent at first, and I thought for a second that it stayed that way. It was kind of like a slow mo, no, and then it just cuts out of that and goes into him just screaming and crying, and the mom screaming. And I think they're trying to portray two things. Luke Cartwood Smith acts here. I think. A, you had the whole thing with men can't show emotion, even if it's the most heartbreaking thing. Yeah, and the mom starts sobbing, and he's like, stop it, stop it. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think that's one thing. And I think the other thing is he might be thinking I could have prevented this or whatever. Or- oh, I absolutely think he believes that because the first thing he does is blame Keating and order an investigation at the school into the kid's suicide where it's like, well, you look for a scapegoat. Correct. And, uh, but, what, you and know. They, found, they found their scapegoat in Keating. And then, of course, the 
other students, mainly his friends, find out that he passed. And I want to say also Ethan Hawke, his performance when he finds out that Neil is gone is just so devastating and heartbreaking. He just walks out into the snow and he's just like dead silent and the other boys are following him, like waiting for him to say something. And then he just has a complete breakdown and starts crying and screaming. And it's just, oh God, it's like, it's really heart wrenching. But um, you can kind of take your mind off the grief and sadness of Neil's death by just getting fucking furious at this investigation that ensues because it's such a crock of bullshit. Well, yeah, it's just we need a scapegoat. We're going to force the kids to admit that Keating is the scapegoat. Well, it's not just that. The redhead kid, which, you know, Scott made a comment that, of course, the redhead kids is the fucking traitor <laughs> of the group. But, yeah, he goes to the headmaster and essentially just dumps it all on Keating and says that Keating tried to push neil into defying his parents and just you know it's all his fault and that's why neil's dead and he goes back to the other boys and tells them the same thing it's like you better get in line with what i'm doing otherwise you're gonna get expelled and <laughs> smarmy charlie just does what all of us want to do and punch that fucker in the face <laughs> it, it drove me crazy because it was so realistic even now and i and, and i've seen it happen to co-workers of mine it's happened to myself this is how the system works right they have to create a scapegoat or, or paint a story when todd goes into the office with the headmaster and his parents are there when they're interviewing all the kids in this investigation how the headmaster paints what happened as they're trying to pin this on keating was an obvious exaggeration and, and a lie, but they were going to make this fact. All you had to do was sign this piece of paper and it was going to be fact. And this guy's career is, is over. And I just thought that was extremely, extremely unfair. When, especially when you have Todd doing it, you have the headmaster who is an authority figure and you have their parents. Who so, are like breathing down his fucking neck, like sign the paper. It's like, well, okay, Jesus and Christ. I'm sure that happened to every single boy yeah. that walked into well, that room. Well, other kids' parents were there too, so yeah. Can, can we talk about that scene right before that for a second? Because I thought that scene was really, really powerful where they were interviewing the boys and that mysterious Dead Poet Society book pops up again inside of a desk but keating you, you could see the pain in robin like robin williams face yeah when he's dealing with what happened and he's processing like everything i felt that scene personally when he you know opens up and he reads um i forgot the poet's name on the first page um i think it's thoreau Yes. Thoreau, right. And the camera zooms in on that poem. And then Robin Williams' character, Keating, like starts to cry. I thought that was a really, really powerful scene. Well, well of course. Because this is the first time we really see him breaking down and showing his emotion. Like, he's usually our fearless leader throughout the whole movie. But yeah, I, I agree with what you said, Hal. I think that that one scene with Robin Williams just looking at the book, I think even though it is so small and I don't even think he says a word. I think it conveys so much just in that one moment. And I think it just speaks volumes to who Robin Williams was as an actor and a performer. So 
Mr. Keating is fired given the circumstances and the headmaster is now teaching the English class until they can find a permanent replacement. And, you know, it's kind of back to square one with the class. Everyone's very prim and proper and in their seat and not happy in the slightest. And, of course, uh, Robin Williams comes in. He's going to pack up the rest of his stuff. And another great acting performance from Ethan Hawke. He is bursting. He's, like, near tears, just dying to say something to Keating. And it's just so sad. It, I Oh, my God. And then, right as Keating's about to walk out the door, we get the Oh, Captain, My Captain scene, which is so fucking iconic and, like, the best uplifting moment of this movie but it's also realistic in that so todd stands up on the desk right and he's like oh captain my captain i'm sorry (laughs) they made us write that fucking letter i'm so sorry and keating's like no i understand i know you didn't mean it i know it's okay and then you get Knox standing on his desk you get Pitts and the scrawny kids standing up on their desks and you get just other random kids in this class all standing up on their desks like at least half the class standing up on their desk saying, oh, captain, my captain. I'm just glad the redhead didn't stand up. I would have been No, of course the redhead didn't stand up. Fuck that guy. But what I do like about it is that the whole class didn't stand up because I feel like that's A, realistic, and B, it just shows that, like, you don't have to reach everyone to make a difference. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I loved that. And they just held on all these boys standing on their desks, looking towards Mr. Keating. And he's just got such a proud look on his face, Keating. And it was just such an uplifting note to leave off on. There is a weird shot, though, here. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There was a weird shot. I don't know why. There was a weird shot where they shot through a kid's legs at Ethan Hawke. I'm like, couldn't we just have a shot where we went around the kid and just looked at Ethan Hawke? Why did we have to go through one of the kid's legs to show <laughs> Ethan Hawke here? I mean, uh, creative shot, question mark? <laughs> but yeah, Ethan Hawke's acting in this particular scene. Like, pretty much all the scenes where, like, anything emotional is happening, he does, like, this thing where he's, like, almost crying like a tear is never shed but you can just it's always the beginnings of tears and he's got like these big puppy dog eyes without really having big puppy dog eyes it's just ooh, that kid's gonna go places there's a couple of things i love about that scene that scene was totally iconic um, but, you know, it ties obviously back into the earlier scene where they're getting on the desk to get that different perspective. But as they're getting on that desk and they're screaming, Captain, my captain, the headmaster is trying to get them off. Right. So there's this symbolism going on of like they're actually overcoming the education system. You know, here's this guy that is the system and he's saying, get off the desk, get off this desk, get in line, get in line. And they're just ignoring. And I always, always said I wanted to do a movie one day that was like, what if all the New York City students revolted all at once and walked out and said, like, you know, we want a better system. We're like tired. And I felt like my captain. Oh, Captain, my captain. Like, I thought that was a microcosm of what I've always wanted. And I was like, I love it. I love the we because, you know, Robin Williams or Keating, I should say, he refers to Walt Whitman as Uncle Walt throughout the entire movie. So it makes sense that we leave off with Uncle Walt. And yeah, it's it's just like it's just a moment of 
yeah, things got fucked up, but I still won. Like, I still was able to change these kids' lives in some way and keep their individuality alive. And that makes me happy. It wasn't about him getting fired. He literally sees that day. Like, he sees that moment. So that was... Dead Poet Society. Woo. Oh, God. I Just talking about that, I'm emotionally exhausted, but, like, in the best way. So let's start with our guest. Dad, wrap us up. What are your thoughts, your ending thoughts of this movie, and what would you rate it out of five stars? So... I have so many thoughts about this movie. I really feel like this movie needs to be infused into curriculum now. You know, I think I think there should be like this movie should be in in professional development. I think I think this this movie has to be seen by everyone. I I love I love the movie on on pretty much every level. I I really want to rate it a 5 because I think Robin Williams was iconic and I think the storyline was amazing and I think they should have won all the awards, but the Knox Overstreet and the Chris scene, you know, is 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 knocking it down a couple of points, so I think I'm going to I think I'm going to rate it a 4.5 out of 5. Can I do that? <laughs> yes, that's fair. Is that a fair? Uh... <laughs> Scott, what about you? What are you rating this baby? Um, so I gave it a four out of five. I, I agree a lot with most of what my dad said. It's a very iconic movie. Robin Williams gives an amazing performance. Uh, again, Will, Dr. Wilson and uh, Ethan Hawke also give great performances. The Overstreet stuff is a little weird. But overall, it's a good movie. I, I Again, four out of five. Well, I also have the movie as a four out of five. Um, this is my second time seeing it, probably. I, I Like I said, I was the one that introduced you guys to this movie, and I'm so glad that you guys liked it. I knew how I was going to like it. I didn't know if you were going to like it, Scott. I was like, this might be too dramatic for you, but I figured Robin Williams would carry you through. So I was right about that. So I'm very proud of myself, giving myself a little pat on the back, and um, I'm glad we've had a successful Father's Day episode without us arguing over a movie (laughs) it took three years but we finally found the movie we both like (laughs) i know we got there eventually so uh next week we have a special episode a special anniversary movie episode a very cool movie that we haven't seen in a long time is having i think it's 20 year anniversary so we're gonna rewatch it for the first time in like a long 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 time and talk shit about it because that's what we do here on shoot the flick we shoot the shit about movies so until then this has been shoot the flick happy father's day belated father's day to you all out there including our special guest hal eisenberg hal is there anything you want to plug for us before we let you go i think you guys let me plug a lot of stuff in but um i do have my book coming out. Uh, it's a four book series. The first book is coming out September 21st. It's called Beautiful Souls. It is my journey through the education system and wanting to transform it. So um, I hope you all buy it. Yes, please do. Yes. Um, Make my dad as popular as Mr. Keating. Oh, yes, indeed. 
And make sure you check us out at Shoot the Flick on Instagram and Twitter. And check out all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our swashbuckling Jewish movie adventure. <laughs> seize the day. Carpe diem. Woo. Now is the time to seize the day. Now is the time to seize the day. Send out the call and join the fray. Send out the call and join the fray.